A warning, today's story involves violence against women, murder, and gore. Something to note, the story you're about to hear is not a direct retelling of any one story about the Pontianak. Today's episode combines a number of legends and documents for dramatic effect. Welcome to Mythical Monsters, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Vanessa Richardson, and this is our series on Monsters of Revenge. Over the next few weeks, we'll seek out the dark beasts who are fearsome in their pursuit of justice, and whose thirst for vengeance spins them out of control. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Today, we cross paths with the Pontianak, the vengeful spirit of a woman who died while pregnant. It's said that she haunts the Southeast Asian countryside, looking to lure men or pregnant women to their deaths. Is she simply a monster or a bloodthirsty spirit fueled by righteous indignation? Coming up... A young woman's death unleashes an unholy terror. The Pontianak is a vampire-like spirit that is well known throughout Malaysia, Indonesia, Singapore, and the Philippines. Stories of the beast go back hundreds of years, to a time when Southeast Asia was being carved up into countries by colonizing forces from Europe. The spirits get their name from Pontianak, Indonesia, where they originated. As the story goes, the city was founded in 1771 by Sultan Sharif Abdur Rahim. At the time of his arrival, it was mostly swampy forest land surrounding a river. The Pontianak defended the trees there, but when locals warned the Sultan that the swampland was home to evil spirits, he fired a cannon into the trees to scare them off. Over time, the Pontianak's role shifted from a simple defender of nature to an avenging vampire. Anthropologist Kathleen Nadu points to the Spanish friars of the Philippines as a driving force behind the shift. Prior to colonization, the people of Southeast Asia didn't have gender roles that aligned with Western ideals. Men and women both shared child-rearing duties, and women held high positions within society. But the Catholic friars had a different view of a woman's place. To help steer Filipinos toward a so-called righteous path, they warned of the Pontianak, an evil spirit who would tempt them off the road and into the banyan trees at night. While she might look like a comely young woman, she would transform into a bloodthirsty demon with stringy black hair in a white dress armed with razor-sharp, tendril-like fingers and jagged fangs. The Pontianak is said to be a woman who died a tragic death, almost always while pregnant, and she primarily attacks young men. But the spirit isn't just a threat to men. She's also obsessed with young, expecting mothers, innocent women who might enjoy the life the Pontianak never had. Some view her as an avenger of wronged women, others as a demonic vampire who kills indiscriminately. Whether she's feared or revered, the night belongs to the Pontianak, and woe to those who dare cross her path. Maya gasped for breath as she stared up at the sky. 
everything was tinged red from the banyan tree's leaves to the sun and clouds, all thanks to the blood running into her eyes. This was not how her life was supposed to end. She could no longer feel the pain of the giant gash across her belly, but her heart still felt the pain of Paolo's betrayal. He was supposed to give her a new life. When his boat came up the river to her tiny island, Paolo and his men promised the locals a future, prosperity and salvation for all, if they turned against their heathen ways and worked with the Spaniards. Maya didn't know what was wrong with the way they were living, but she was just 15 at the time, and Paolo was handsome and charming. She believed his promises. She would have done anything for his love. Now she was dying for it, lying in a pool of her own blood. She stared at Paolo as he held a knife in one hand and the unborn child he'd ripped from her womb in the other. The Spaniard's voice sounded hollow and distant as he barked at his men, "'Burn the house down! All I needed from her was the land!' Maya closed her eyes. In her last moment, she prayed for one thing, vengeance. Maya's eyes shot open at the sound of a carriage rolling by. The stars sparkled through the banyan tree's leaves, the same tree that had stood for generations on the edge of her family's farm, the same one she was murdered under. But apparently not. A smile spread across her face. She was alive. She looked down. She wasn't in the same bloody dress as before. Now she was in a linen shift of pure virgin white. They must have thought I was dead and prepared me for burial, Maya thought. She eased off the ground, fearing soreness, but her body felt strong, better than it ever had before. She felt right. Except when Maya looked around, her heart dropped. The banyan tree was the same, but everything else was different. A road ran through the middle of what should have been a banana tree grove. In the distance, she could hear music. It sounded like it was coming from her house, so Maya turned to the left. Her father's humble home was gone. In its place stood a garish mansion. Candles burned in all the windows. Carriages sat out front. Beautiful women in fine gowns paraded through the front door. Someone was throwing a party. Maya wondered, how long was I out? No one could have raised all those trees and built a mansion overnight. How much time had passed? She had to see what was going on, so she ran toward the road to get a closer look. But when Maya moved her legs, she didn't run. She floated. Maya froze in terror, hesitant to even look, but she had to. Her eyes drifted down her dress. Maya screamed in panic, and an unholy screech rang out from her mouth across the field. She didn't have legs, and the hands on her wrists weren't hers anymore either, as she took in long fingers that were somehow both tenderly and sharp. Maya realized she was no longer human. 
Horrified, she flew across the road, praying that the river still ran on the other side. She had to get a look at her reflection. Maya flew through the banyan trees, and though branches whipped at her body, she felt no pain. She floated down to the bank as the river came into sight. The full moon illuminated everything as she leaned over the water. Her long, stringy black hair fell into the river. Her mouth was a wide, gaping grin of jagged fangs. Her heart sank. She knew exactly what she was, for her father had told her many tales when she was a girl. Maya was a Pontianok, a forest spirit reborn after tragedy to seek vengeance against men. Legends said that a Pontianok could never die and could only be subdued by a knife to the back of her neck. Maya had never believed the legends, but now they were her reality. Her prayer for vengeance had been answered, but that craving for justice was a distant memory. Now, Maya just wanted to live. Maya shot upright when a sound echoed through the trees. It was the sound of someone being slapped, followed by a woman's desperate cry for help. Maya flew through the trees toward the sound. Just off the road, a man pressed a woman against the trunk of a tree. One hand clenched around the nape of her neck, the other pressed over her mouth to silence her. He seemed like a wealthy Spaniard, and he was hurting a girl that looked a lot like Maya once had. Her heart filled with rage as she let out another unholy screech. The scream terrified the man and the woman. It terrified Maya, too. It was enough of a distraction for the girl to pull free from her assaulter's grasp. She ran for the road, but the man turned and shouted, Who's out there? Maya ducked behind a tree. She could hear him stomping through the forest as he shouted, Show yourself! Maya stared down at her razor-sharp hands and shuddered at the thought of being seen in this state. She was a monster. Then the Spaniard unsheathed a sword. Maya's heart raced. She'd just awoken, and now she was going to be murdered all over again. Coming up, Maya crashes the Spaniard's party. Imagine living with a secret so big that if anyone ever found out, it would change everything. Imagine carrying that secret with you every day, desperate to one day get it off your chest. Do you think you could take a secret like that to the grave? I'm Estefania Hageman, host of the new podcast series, Deathbed Confessions, the show where we dive deep into the most explosive things people have admitted to while drawing their last breath. From murder, fake identities, heists, illicit affairs, and even top government secrets. This season on Deathbed Confessions, we investigate cases like Frank Thorogood, the construction worker who claimed that the drowning of Rolling Stones founder Brian Jones was no accident. Margaret Gibson, a silent film actress who, while dying of a heart attack, confessed to one of the most famous unsolved crimes in Hollywood history. And ex-CIA officer Howard Hunt, who on his deathbed confessed to playing a role in the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Deathbed Confessions is a Spotify original from Parcast, airing episodes weekly starting July 21st. Follow and listen to Deathbed Confessions for free on Spotify.
Now back to the story. Maya hid behind a banyan tree, hovering off the ground, terrified at her current state. She was a Pontianoc after being killed by her lover, Paolo, and now another Spaniard was ready to kill her after she caught him abusing another local girl. But as the man approached, Maya realized if she was a monster now, she had no reason to fear a violent colonizer. The man spun around the tree trunk with his sword drawn. He spat, How dare you spy on me! Then Maya floated down in front of him. The Spaniard's eyes went wide and his voice trailed away. He barely had time to utter, the Pontianoc. Maya unhinged her jaw, exposing her dagger-like teeth. It looked like she could swallow him whole. Expecting to be bitten, he screamed in fright. But Maya jammed her claws deep into the Spaniard's soft belly instead. Blood gurgled out of his mouth. Now he couldn't scream anymore. Maya unleashed her fury on the Spaniard and slashed at his torso. Blood, skin, and bits of his clothes flew into the air. Maya wasn't going to let another foreigner hurt another local girl. Not if she could help it. The man fell into a heap on the ground, now just an unrecognizable mound of flesh. Maya glared at the insides lying next to his body. She suddenly realized that she was hungry. Maya dove into the meat pile, chomping down on the intestines. The blood gave her life, and as it flowed through her ghostly frame, she felt something stir inside her purpose. Maya pulled her head out of the bloody heap and floated above the trees. In the distance, the party at the manor carried on. Maya wiped blood from her chin as memories from her last moments as a woman came flooding back. Her last moments with Paolo, who'd burned down her childhood home and murdered her. That manor had to be his house, But this was not Paolo's land. It was hers. Maya shot through the sky toward Paolo's shining, gaudy manor. She hovered outside the windows to the grand ballroom, fighting her urge to weep. The ballroom alone completely enveloped her former home. And as she watched, she saw flashes of her past mingle with the present. Sumptuous foods were served right where Maya used to sit and watch the birds out the window. The dancers twirled across her kitchen, where their rickety old stove used to be. The band was playing on top of her mother's bed. Her old life and her new one blurred together and coalesced into one aching, furious emotion. Pain. Angry pain. She scanned the crowd, a swirling mass of wool suits and silk dresses. The men were all Spanish, but the women were a mix. Some were European, and others were her old friends and family, too, like her cousin, Tala. Maya wanted to give Tala the benefit of the doubt. Maybe she'd been lied to like Maya was, charmed into a gilded cage by a wealthy Spaniard. But then again... Tala was always selfish and conniving, and as for the Europeans, 
Well, they were incapable of loving anything but themselves. The two groups deserved each other. The music faded as the dancers stopped their twirling. A hand raised a crystal goblet high into the air in the middle of the crowd. It was Paolo. He was older now, his black hair was flecked with dull silver, and his eyes weren't as sharp as when they were lovers, but it was him. Maya couldn't hear what he was saying, but it didn't matter. She knew his words were poison, infecting anyone in earshot. Maya snarled at the crowd, laughing and clapping and raising their glasses to their humble host. The music picked back up and Paolo ducked out of the room. The dancers twirled across the floor, but Maya no longer cared about the others. Her sole focus was her murderer, her former lover, the father of her slain, unborn child. Maya watched through the windows as Paolo walked through the manor toward a quiet library. Her cows used to graze in that same spot. He poured himself a glass of wine and sank into a plush chair. This was her chance. Maya's father had said that Pontianaks could turn into beautiful young maidens to fool men, and now she was going to find out if that was true. Maya gathered her strength and focused her energy. Her claws shrank back into hands, her wild hair pulled back into a tight bun, and her white dress turned into a red, silken gown. She felt the ground under her feet, because she had feet now. Maya caught a reflection of herself in the window. She looked stunning, just like she had before Paolo shattered her beauty. She pushed open the manor's side door and crept toward the library. The hardwood floor felt cool against her feet. She walked to the end of the hall and stood in the doorway of the library, just outside of the light of the fireplace. On the other side sat Paolo, his back to the door. Maya felt lightheaded with rage, but she focused, cleared her throat, and called out, I beg your pardon, sir, but I seem to have gotten turned around. Paolo stood and turned toward the door. A smile spread between his wine-flushed cheeks. He straightened his jacket and smoothed his hair. You most certainly have, young lady. Why don't you come and join me for a drink? Paolo sauntered closer, straining to get a good look at Maya, but she inched back, staying out of the light. Oh, I shouldn't. I'm trying to find my parents. He smirked. I'm sure they're at the party. I'll take you to them after you have a drink with me. Just step into the light. Let me get a good look at you. Maya smiled and said, if you insist. Then she stepped forward. Paolo's eyes went wide as the glass slipped from his hand and shattered against the floor. The color drained from his face as he stumbled back and stammered, M Maya, you haven't aged a day. Maya snarled, no, Paolo, and you won't age another one. Paolo yelped with fright, and Maya couldn't help but laugh. She held out her hands, her fingers stretched into the long, spindly phalanges of the Pontianoc. Her dress transformed into white linen as her legs disappeared from underneath her. 
Maya pointed at Paolo, seething. I loved you. I changed who I was for you. And you betrayed me. And you killed our child. Tears welled in Paolo's eyes. No, I'm sorry, Maya. I'm so sorry. Maya floated toward Paolo and spoke with cutting honesty. I don't care. Maya unhinged her jaw to reveal her jagged teeth, and Paolo screamed. Maya sank her fangs into Paolo's stomach, then ripped him in two. His torso tumbled back like a fallen tree as his legs remained upright. Maya hovered over his body, enjoying the terror that was permanently etched into his lifeless face. She smiled. This quick death was too good for Paolo, but it was satisfying all the same. She reached down, scooped up Paolo's guts, and shoved them into her mouth. For the briefest moment, Maya felt sated. But her peace was short-lived. A voice called out from the hallway, Dearest husband, where are you? The guests are looking for you. Maya lifted her head. Frozen in terror in the doorway was Paolo's pregnant bride. Coming up, Maya rages out of control. Now back to the story. The Pontianoc, who used to be Maya, glared from behind her wiry black hair at Paolo's pregnant wife. She was pale, pretty, and young, a proper Spanish bride, a respectable woman, someone Paolo would deem worthy to bear his child. Not like Maya, the Pontianoc seethed with anger. She would not stand by and let another woman live the life that had been promised to her. Maya's shriek rattled the books on the shelves, blood and guts rushing out of her mouth and splattering the entire room. The bride stood in shock at the horror in front of her. Maya extended her claws. Paolo's wife broke free from her trance, her hand drifting up to cover her swollen belly. Her voice cracked. Please, no. But the Pontianoc's rage drowned out Maya's lingering humanity. She lunged for the wife and sank her claws deep into the expectant mother's chest. The Pontianoc ripped her fingers out and the wife collapsed. Blood dripped down the Pontianoc's tendrils into a dark pool on the floor. Maya's former lover and his new wife both lay dead on the ground. She'd had her revenge. She paused for a moment, letting that sink in. But it wasn't enough. She wanted more. Far down the hall, the music and mirth of the party bled into the library. She heard people chatter and sing and laugh. They knew where they were. Many of the women had played in this house with Maya as children, yet they didn't care. They'd gladly traded away their heritage. They danced on Maya's grave, all complicit in this tragedy. European or native, old or young, none were innocent. They all deserved her wrath. 
Maya flew down the hall and let out her chilling cry. She had no desire to catch these colonizers and traitors off guard. She wanted them to know the horror that was coming for them. The Pontianak flung open the doors. The music stopped as everyone screamed. A stampede started for the far doors. Maya floated high above them, blood dripping off her fangs and claws, hatred blazing in her heart. For a brief moment, Maya closed her eyes. She could still see her mother cooking at the stove. She could feel the warmth of her favorite blanket on her skin. Her eyes shot open, the memory forgotten. All that remained was her fury. She let out another blood-curdling scream as the crowd rushed for the back door. She heard a familiar cry for help. It was her cousin, Tala, clinging to the arm of Paolo's brother. Maya lunged forth, claws drawn. That traitor would die first. Maya ripped through Tala's throat with ease, then turned her attention to the others. So many traitorous bodies ripe for the taking, all pigs to the slaughter. The Pontianok dove through the crowd, slashing at those beneath her. Bodies piled up at the exit. No one could get out now. She heard her old friends pleading with her in their Tagalog language, but it was too late to turn back to their roots. They'd made their choice, and so had Maya. With each death, Maya felt her power grow. Her urge for vengeance melded with a new desire for blood, pure, hot, red. It made her so strong, made it so easy to slash stomachs like Paolo had slashed hers. And it was easy to see people writhe on the ground, helpless and afraid. The sight even made her smile. Maya floated down to the ground, her white gown now soaked crimson with blood. She didn't know how many had escaped alive, but it could only be a few. Still, her smile faded. She wasn't satisfied. Her appetite was insatiable. She needed more blood, more bodies, more cries for help. Maya needed more, period. She let out another shriek. But her cry was cut short as excruciating pain shot through her neck. Maya whipped her hand behind her head. A dagger was lodged in the base of her skull. From the depths of her consciousness, she pulled another memory, the words of her father once again. There was only one way to tame a Pontianok, stabbing them in the back of the neck. She'd never be able to pull it out on her own or instruct anyone to do it for her. Once stabbed, a Pontianok became a slave, powerless like Maya used to be. Maya pulled her hand from her neck and held it in front of her face. Her bloody tendrils slowly morphed back into a human hand. Suddenly, she could feel the cool ground beneath her feet again. The black hair pulled back from her face. She tried to turn and see her attacker, but she couldn't. She couldn't control her body at all. 
Frantically, her eyes scanned the room. On the far wall above the mountain of corpses was a mirror. She saw her reflection. She looked just like her old self. And behind her, silk dress covered in blood, was Paolo's pregnant wife. Maya had missed her heart when she attacked her. The wife and the baby inside were still alive. The wife scowled. Turn around. Maya turned. She had no control over herself. She was human again, but now she was a servant, bent to the will of the one who stabbed her. Not even the wife's death would bring her freedom. Maya would serve the family forever, unless the dagger was pulled out. The wife unleashed a vicious slap across Maya's face. She felt blood trickle down her nose and fury build in her heart. But she could do nothing but take the abuse. Tears streamed down the wife's cheeks, her voice shaking. Clean up your mess, you godless heathen. Maya dutifully nodded. Yes, ma'am. Maya obediently brushed Isabella's hair, like she was instructed to do. She did sometimes clean and wash things for Paolo's widow, but mostly she cared for his daughter, Isabella, attending to her every need. The child was spoiled, but Maya understood. If her son with Paolo had lived, she would have spoiled him too. She had no autonomy. She never slept. She was undead. There was no need for it. She had no concept of time, and every day was the same, emotionless and lifeless, cruel in its unending monotony. As best as she could tell, Isabella was five or six years old. The girl was a pleasant enough ward for an undead slave. She cared for animals and loved watching the colorful birds that fluttered outside her window. Maya had been the same way in her youth. She wished she could tell Isabella the stories she'd made up about those birds, but in her current state, she couldn't. Finally, the child waved her hand for Maya to stop. That's enough. Maya placed the brush in her lap and didn't move an inch while she awaited her next instruction. It was usually to make lunch, but Isabella picked up the brush from Maya's lap and smiled. Today, I'm going to brush your hair. Maya's voice shook. You aren't to do that, Miss Isabella. Your mother doesn't want you playing with me. Isabella turned up her nose. Mother says you are to do as I say, and I say I want to brush your hair. It's so pretty and shiny and black. Isabella rushed behind Maya. Her heart raced as Isabella pulled back Maya's hair and screamed. There's a dagger in your neck. Hold still, I'll get it out for you. The little girl reached up to Maya's neck. As she pulled the lodged dagger out, Maya finally smiled again. The legend of the Pontianak is widespread throughout Southeast Asia. For centuries, she was a ruthless spirit of the night who trapped unsuspecting men, stalked new mothers, and targeted children. No one was safe from her brutality. Spanish colonizers spread the story because it helped them illustrate their ideas about gender. In their view, women were vengeful, tricky creatures. If you allowed them an iota of freedom, they would reign chaos on your life, which is why women had to be subdued by 
their men, like a Pontianoc with a spike in her neck. It's the kind of thinking behind a lot of female monsters, but recently attitudes toward the Pontianoc have shifted. Now many view the spirit as a feminist icon who flips the narrative, albeit in an extreme way. Instead of women being scared to walk home at night, the Pontianoc struck fear in men who found themselves on a dark, desolate road. It gave men pause when they saw a lonesome female and warned them to leave her alone. The spirit is almost a patron saint for women's safety, though of course she's just as dangerous to women if she feels they deserve her wrath. The Pontianoc exists in extremes that aren't fit for any human. She's either consumed by wild bloodlust or shackled in servitude, neither of which are great ways to live. Her thirst for justice may be righteous, but she also reminds us that when a person takes their quest for vengeance too far, they stop being a person at all. Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next week with a new episode. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. I'll see you next time. Mythical Monsters is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Nick Johnson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Jesse Harris, with writing assistance by Amin Osman and Nora Battelle, fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Adriana Gomez. I'm Vanessa Richardson.